Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. Psalms 118, we're going to begin at verse 1. It says, Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Amen, somebody. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. <laughs> Let's try one more time. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good. Wow, that's awesome. Good job. Because his mercy endureth forever. Let Israel say not, or let Israel say, now say, that his mercy endureth forever. So he goes through a few pace paces here of people that he wants to have the same thought. He said, let Israel say it. He said, let the house of Aaron say it. And then he said, let, the f- let them now that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. So he said, let the people God chose say his mercy endureth forever. Let the people God chose to govern the people with my law say that his mercy endureth forever. And then he said, let whoever fears the Lord, that's us, amen, that we should say his mercy endureth forever. I call upon the Lord in distress, David said. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side, amen, someone. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations come past me about, but the name of the Lord will I destroy, will, um, but I'm sorry, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about. In other words, they surrounded me. Everyone knows we were just singing about that. I may be surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. That's what this scripture is saying. But in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. They compassed me about like bees. They are quenched as the fire of thorns for the name of the Lord for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them thou hast trust sore at or thrust sore at me that I might fall but the Lord helped me amen no matter what came against you the Lord helped him he said no matter what was thrown at me the Lord helped me the Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation verse 15 the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the where? It's good to go to church, isn't it? The, the voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth violent, or valiantly. Amen. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. He links that to where? The tabernacle. I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. In other words, he's saying there's great things that God wants to do in his house. Amen. There's great things that God wants to do in his tabernacle. Everyone say, that's us. And there's great things that he shall do. I shall live and declare the works of the Lord. I want to preach to you for just a little while about declaring God's worth. Amen. Declaring our unprecedented God. 
Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask you to anoint the lips of clay. Help me to speak beyond this flesh, beyond my intellect. God, help me to do what you want me to do with this time. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you change somebody's life for the good. And not only for the good, but you change in a way that makes them understand, Lord Jesus, that you're at work and you're worthy to be declared even while you're working. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. Amen, amen. God is good. And I'm thankful that he has kept me in his hand. I, I know that there are many things that as a pastor I consider it, to preach about. And I try to keep a steady, healthy diet of different topics like what it means to fast and what it means to tithe and what it means to have the blessings of the Lord in your life, but nothing greater, nothing more powerful than preaching on what it means to declare God in your life, what it means to declare God in your lifestyle, what it means to declare God in the way that you talk and you walk, amen. Because you know people as well as I do that say they're Christians, but they don't look anything like a Christian, amen. There's nothing that gives you an indication that God is at work in their life. And I want you to know those are the people that have a filter on. They just say they're one thing, but they're doing something completely different. And we know what filters are like in a social media age, don't we? We know what it's like to have something where somebody says, says they're one thing, but really they're another. And that is true in so many cases, but I want you to know, even if it's hard to find truth anymore these days, almost anywhere, there still is truth in the earth, amen? Because the Bible says that his truth endureth forever. Not only his mercy, as I read, but his truth endureth forever. I thank God for his mercy, Carla, because I believe the mercy of God is what's holding back the trumpet of Gabriel right now. I believe the mercy of God is what's keeping him from coming to this earth already. And he said, there's still souls to be won. There's still people to reach. There's still my children that have not had the chance to say yes or no to the kingdom of God. And in that moment, I believe mercy has got a hold of that trumpet and said, wait, Gabriel, there's a few more that God can save. There's a few more that God wants to reach. There's a few hearts that still can be changed. Does anybody believe in the enduring mercy of almighty God? Does anybody believe in the enduring truth that is to all generations? Amen. We understand that truth has the power to change things. In other words, even mistruth has the power to change something. If truth has power, then mistruth also has a power. Amen. And we have to understand that in the day we're living in, there is so much mistruth in our world that it's become a programmed situation. Many people believe that technology is neutral, but we are understanding now that as the internet has learned us, that we are now, as we click on different things in social media platforms, that the internet is learning through our IP address what we like and what we don't like. And we are having a loopback situation happen now where more than 2 billion people are on their phones or their tablets at one time during the day. In fact, it says that it is about the national number of people that have a cell phone now and that are on their cell phone on a daily basis on a social media platform is the same number as the followers of Christianity. We are in a, an unprecedented time and we need an unprecedented God, amen? 
we are living in a day, we are living in a day where there is a change taking place, where there are people that check in on their phones more than 150 times a day. This is new tech, this is new information that I just was able to acquire, but people are checking their phones that many times a day and they are saying that some people spend as much as 15 minutes on average, 15 minutes on the social media platform every single day. I want you to know that you cannot be, spend that much time in a place or on a social media platform and not be affected by either truth or mistruth, amen? You cannot go out there and spend that much time, whether they call it neutral or not. We are jacked into an environment. And then no matter what that environment is, there are changes that take place to us when we are in an environment, whether over time or instantaneously. But every person that we know can talk to you about what they saw on, the fa on Facebook or what they saw in a social media platform or what they did. In fact, it's becoming well known, not only the cortisone that comes from the experience of our devices, but the happy drug. You know what that is, right? It's the drug, it's the hormones in your brain that you get a happy feeling when you see more likes on your page or more likes on your post. There's two things happening. Cortisol is the stress drug. It is the drug they're saying is now related to when your device starts to lose its battery. They have done studies in Australia and found out that people that have a device that's low on battery power begin to develop more cortisol in their system and need to plug in as fast as possible somewhere. They're literally having a physiological response to a technological experience. And those parts that take place and those things that happen in our physicality is actually creating what they know as an anxiety over technology, an anxiety over not being plugged in. How many know how difficult it is to unplug? Every man up member that went this week, they know how hard it is to unplug. I unplugged for four and a half days and had 6,000 emails. 6,000, of course, I need to remove myself from some email lists, obviously, but 6,000 in my little bubble on my phone when I got back to society. There was no cell signal out there. Thank God there was no cell signal. I could have spent all week answering emails, but the fact still remains that we must have a hard break from technology at times. We must have a hard break and get away with God, amen, someone. We must set some things down in order to pick up what God wants us to pick up. We are living in unprecedented attachment days. We know that we need to have a responsibility to our work and to devices. I understand that, but you also need to build in time away with God and step away from the things that attach you to an environment of this world because that is a doorway, brothers and sisters. That attachment is a place where things come into your life and if you don't get away, with the truth of God's word, the pure, unadulterated truth of God's word. You will have things that begin to develop in your life and you will notice that it will affect your worship and it will affect your praise. Amen, somebody. I know that's hard to hear on the start of a sermon, but guess what? The Bible even says that there's gonna come a day when people cannot endure sound doctrine. The reason why is because doctrine is difficult to process. When you hear from the word of God, a correction in your spirit, your flesh doesn't like it. And you will have to not only keep yourself from rejecting it immediately, but you will have to pray through that process and let God work on you with the Holy Ghost until you realize that it's your flesh that's bristling up against that because it's good for your spirit and your flesh does not like it. 
It is most difficult sometimes to hear from somebody something that you feel is against the way that you're going or the, the direction that you're in in life. But guess what? We are spending so much time living out our life, feeding on fleshly things through devices and through technology that when we get to church, we wonder, is God even going to move? Are we even going to be able to tap in? Are we going to be able to plug into the environment of God? We are seeing the effects all over the place. And I want you to know that our battle is in praise. Our, our battle is in worship. If we can just get our hands lifted and separate ourselves from all the things of the day, God will show up and we can plug into an environment that is pure and right for us. And we can see God do unprecedented things. We may not have the faith to believe it, but in that moment with raised hands, we can say, God, touch my unbelief and he will come down and he will infuse faith in your life and the ability to see God do the miraculous in your life. Miracle power is found through faith. And I'm telling you that we must do what it takes. They're saying the brain is being rewired by these attachments that we have and that the iPhone is literally draining the souls of man every day. Philip Morris only asked you for your lungs with cigarettes, but Steve Jobs is asking for your soul with his device. Did you know that Steve Jobs wouldn't even give his children an iPhone or an iTablet? He never gave one to them because he knew the addiction that they caused. I don't think you came here to hear about that today, but I have to put that into my sermon because I see all of you online just as much as I am. And if we are not praying and seeking God on a regular basis and stepping into God's environment in his tabernacle where his right hand is shown strong, then we have to understand that there's something in us that needs to be addressed, amen? That through things and technology and what we see, it resets our value systems. And our value systems may not value the house of God as much. And pretty soon we may not value worship as much. And pretty soon we may not value our faith as much. And it's a slippery slope backwards till pretty soon we don't know if we even need to stay in the family that we're in. We don't know if we need to keep the marriage that we're in. We don't know if we even need to keep the relationship that we used to have that kept us strong in the church. And we don't call the brother or sister. We used to call regularly to check in and say, how are you doing? Can I pray for you? It slowly slips backwards and we have to put a stop somewhere to it and say, guess what? I know what tells me whether I'm in the place I need to be is how easy do I want to go to church? How easy do I want to lift my hands and worship, if I can give God glory at any point, at any moment in my life, then I'm taking charge of what's coming into my life. I'm taking charge of the media that I have in my life. If I still have a desire to worship God day in and day out, if I come to the house of the Lord like David, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord, then I know that there is not anything in me that has not been monitored by the power of the Holy Ghost and that there will be a check in my spirit. There will be a voice that comes and says, hey, that's too much of that. You need more of the word. Hey, that's too much of that relationship. You need more of godly relationships. Hey, that's too much time away. You need to be back in my presence. Can we allow God to do an unprecedented work in us even in an unprecedented day? Amen, somebody. We change our value systems when we look at all the people that post only their best stuff. <laughs> you know they went through 16 photos to get that right light. You know what I'm talking about. They're on the 16th filter down just to get it to look good. But even though 
the value systems can change, we have to realize that there's still great value in serving the Lord. Whenever I pray, I don't pray just for myself. I pray that I'm ready when someone asks me, Pastor, my son is sick or my daughter is sick. Will you pray? I want to have a reservoir with God that I can draw from at any moment. So maybe it's hard for me to get up in the mornings and pray, but when I do, on a regular basis, I know I may be good. I may get up celebrating the Lord. It may be a good day. But when I go into his presence, I know I'm investing something in an account that I can draw from. And that when someone comes to me and says, Pastor, can you pray or text me or, or Facebook message me, I need, the, I need a prayer, Pastor, that I am not praying from a bankrupt deficit. I'm not praying from a place that has no power. I'm praying in the name of Jesus, and I'm praying from a relationship of presence. And I can expect the unprecedented from God. No matter how I get requested, I can expect the unprecedented from God in those moments. And that comes from a relationship on a daily basis with God. I know that I'm, as, I'm asking a lot of you to analyze your social media and analyze your, your digital on, online presence. I know I'm asking a lot of you, but I'm asking you to keep the value of God in the house of God and in the things of God. A little boy pulls on the preacher's coat and gets his attention, and he says, I'm going to give you money when I grow up, preacher. And the preacher goes, okay, uh, thank you very much. Um, why do you want to give me money when you grow up? He said, because my dad says you're the poorest preacher we ever had. <laughs> Sometimes the value systems are so different between those that carry the gospel and those that just come to church. Amen. There's another one here that I want you to know. I'm not saying that Preachers are any different than anybody else, but I am saying that we do have a call of God in our lives, and we have a responsibility. And it's hard sometimes on a preacher's family because they have to be good on credit, amen? They, they have to be good because the preacher is up, you know? He preaches every Sunday, and there's two boys that were talking about that, and the one boy said, my dad's a doctor. I can be sick for nothing. They don't charge me anything when I'm sick because my daddy's a doctor, and the other boy goes, that's nothing. My daddy's a preacher, and I could be good for nothing. <laughs> we place value on almost everything in life. And I can talk to you for 30 seconds and find out where you place your values. And the biggest indicator of where your value lies is where you spend your time. How much time do you spend with God? Do you know or do you value Worship. Do you value worship? It's important that I tell you that worship is not only a, a place of learning, but it's also a place of victory. Amen. Do you put worship over all of your life, good and bad? The Shema is a character in the Hebrew language, and it's actually what they call the, the character of God in, in the sense that it has a large asterisk or mark and then it has a smaller one than a large mark for its the way that it's written out it's hard to explain except for that when you lift your hands with your head you create the symbol of the shema which means god of victory or god it, god is over it and so when we look at exodus 17 10 through 12 
I want you to understand what's happening in this story because there are some things that we just maybe don't pick up on, but if you put that scripture up there, I want to read it for you. It's Exodus 17, 10 through 12, if you want to go there. If not, you can look on the screens. And so as we're setting up, I want you to know that I'm not saying that God is not able to work through technology, don't get me wrong, but I'm saying that we're seeing more depression, we're seeing more teen suicides than we've ever seen before, and the reason for that is because of what we're experiencing through technology. Look at what this says, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, choose out Choose us out, men, and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hands, what was the symbol of Shema? This, the symbol of God. In scripture, that when Moses held up his hand, that Israel prevailed, and when, it let, when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. They say that the sun would have set behind them. So when he held up his hands and they had victory, it was because that his shadow was casting over the battlefield the name of God. And so his actual posture of worship tells us something in scripture that if we dig deep enough, we realize that Moses, it says, but Moses' hands were heavy and they took a, they took a stone and put it under him and sat there and, sat, and he sat there on and Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands. In other words, they kept his hands lifted, the one on one side and the other on the other side and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, amen? So in other words, the victory that God was giving them was because he was lifting his hands, declaring God over the battle. And I want you to do the same in your life. I brought to you today the remembrance that your worship has value, regardless of whether the world sees a value in you coming to church today, regardless of whether the world sees a value in your Christianity or your belief in the word of God or the Bible being God's word and uh, their tr the truth deposited in that word of God, regardless of what they believe, when you lift your hands in worship, you're saying, God, you're over my victory. God, you're over my defeats. God, you're over everything in my life and so you may not understand everything that you're going through but you understand that God is the one who gives victory God is the one that gives power to win and so my winning is in my worship amen somebody it's in lifting my hands that I declare God's name over everything in my life and sometimes you get weak and sometimes you get tired and you have to sit down and you need a brother or a sister or somebody to come along beside you, sister, sister, brother, brother, whatever, you know, you do the right thing. But it's not like you're going to have, hey, sister, can you hold this arm? You know, it's not like that. I'm talking about having actual proper authority and actually doing the proper thing. I'm talking about somebody being in your life that you can be accountable to that says, I can see whenever you're not winning because you're weak and you're becoming tired. And they'll come beside you and lift your hands so that the name of God is exalted in your life. That is what Ben and, but hurt, Ben hurt, yeah. <laughs> 
Can you put the scripture back up there again? I want to read a little bit more of that if I haven't gone all the way down to verse 7. But the thing that I'm getting at is that whenever you have a, a fatigue in your life, you need somebody else to stand beside you and help you lift your hands to worship God. Amen? So it was, it was interesting that as we went to man up that the Lord was speaking to me about comfort. He was talking to me about my comfort. He's like, you're suffering from sacrifice fatigue. I'm like, what is that, Lord? Because I didn't have anything. You know, I didn't, I, they, we, at the end of the man up, we take a rock and we're supposed to throw that rock to get it to leave some weights on the mountain. And the whole time they were teaching, I was like, I got nothing. I got nothing. I got nothing. I'm good. I you know God's good. I, have, I don't have anything to throw away. You know, um, everything's good. So as soon as he said, okay, I want you to stand up and I want you to walk out into the wilderness on this mountain and I want you to begin to pray and ask God what it is that you're carrying. And as soon as I stood up, the Lord told me, comfort. He said one word. And I was like, Lord, do you know my life? <laughs> you got the wrong address. The zip code's off on this GPS. I, I don't live in comfort. I, I'm going from one schedule to the next all the time. I'm constantly busy. And he's like, no, no, I didn't say busy or not busy, I said, you are seeking comfort even in your busyness because you are under sacrifice fatigue. You set up and tear down church. You built church. You did all this stuff. You've been running this schedule. Your family's been going. Your family, every single weekend, your family's there cleaning the church. You're doing schedules. You're, you're setting up Sarah's printing on Saturday to make sure you have a bulletin on Sunday. All that stuff is going on. And every single week as our schedule is going on, my wife goes, well, we have to go do this. And well, we have to go do that. And it's all related to the church. And, and one weekend out of the year, I get away with the men and go out to the wilderness. And God says, comfort. And I'm like, comfort? Do you know how much we do for God and, uh, and we strive for the Lord to build the kingdom? Do you know how much we're doing? And the Lord said, yes, but when you leave on Sunday, you go get that meatloaf from Hollander Cafe. Hello, somebody. That's some good cooking right there. I'll see you there after church. No, he's like, that's why you put on weight because you seek comfort food. That's why you, you, you've, been, you've been not as edgy in the word of God because you're seeking comfort from entertainment at times. I'm being real right now, and if, if you want to go, there's the door, but we'll see you next week. <laughs> but I'm being so real with you because I want you to understand that even as a pastor, I deal with the basic things that our human flesh wants, comfort. And the Lord told me, he said, I want you to stop seeking comfort in other places and start seeking comfort in my spirit because that's what my spirit was supposed to do is be a comforter to you. And if you're going through anything or you've been through something, I want you to know you may not know the reasons why you seek out that sugar fix or you seek out that entertainment fix or you seek out whatever it is that you go to, to, to actually comfort your flesh. But I want you to know that the Bible says we are to crucify the flesh, not comfort it. Amen? And that in crucifying the flesh and getting on that cross and following after Jesus Christ, that on the other side of that crucifixion, as hard as it may be for you to lay something down, maybe it's a 
relationship. Maybe you're looking at somebody that's going to walk back into your life at some point, and you're like, I, I, I love them before, but I don't know if I, can, if I can handle or support that relationship now. Whatever it is, if it's a human being or if it's a, if it's a situation, I want you to know if you lay it down and you put it in God's hand and you put it in, in the tomb with Jesus Christ, he'll give you a resurrection bigger and greater than anything you've ever experienced in your life. You will walk away from that experience with a joy of God in your heart and his mercy will have been on it and you will look back 2020 and you'll say, hey, God's hand was in it. Even though I felt like it hurt to give it up, even though it felt like it hurt to have change, even though it felt like it was difficult in the moment, I understand now, looking back, that God was in it the whole time. As hard as that can be, I want you to know that your praise will get you through it. Amen? And so lifting your hands over everything, it doesn't matter if it feels good or not, just lift your hands and worship God in all situations because your praise determines where your power comes from. Amen? If it's coming from you, then your hands are going to get to work. If it's coming from God, you'll lift your hands first before you'll go to work. Amen? And so you have to know that God's going to do something great in you. And, and in order for him to do that, you have to get your hands up. Amen? The greatest pick-me-up, everybody's looking for a pick-me-up nowadays. Five-hour energy, something. They got to get through their work day. The greatest pick-me-up is to lift your hands up. Amen? The greatest pick-me-up is when God gets a hold of you. Because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And that is not just talking about the cross, lifting him on the cross. That is true. That was a prophecy. That was a place where the scripture was referencing Jesus being lifted up on the cross and that when he died he could draw all men unto him because he took away the veil of separation between God and our sin and us and so therefore when he died on the cross he was able to bring all men to God and thank God for that amen but it's also referencing the ability for us to lift God up in our praise when we lift our hands up he scoops down and he picks us up and for a moment we are lifted into his glory and we experience in ourselves and worship something that we cannot generate from ourselves in other words, what we are willing to do with the work and the drive and the, and, the, and the power of our mind cannot possibly do what lifting our hands in worship will do whenever God moves in. God will allow us to give up. And in that, he redefines the giving up for us as praise. When you give, feel like giving up, just give it up. <laughs> Redefine giving up. Just give it up to God, and he'll take care of it. Amen? Amen, amen, amen. There's a place in Scripture that I wanted to reference for you, and it's in Psalms 42 and 4. When I remember the things, when I remembered these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God, and the voice of what? of joy and praise with a multitude that kept holy day. And on Sundays we worship, amen? Yes. That's what David was saying. He said, I, I went with a multitude to the house of God and there was a voice of joy there. There was a voice of praise there. And there was a multitude of people keeping God's day. Is God worthy of worship? Amen. So he is because we can do it by ourselves. We can do it with others. And in, the, in, and in the aspect of coming together as a multitude, there can be a voice of joy that raises up and a voice of excitement that you can't generate on your own. Is he worthy of your worship when you're all alone? Is he worthy of your worship when you're together with your brother and sister? 
He's worthy no matter what because he saved us. Amen? If we place great value in that, our worth of our worship will teach us things about ourselves. Let me explain. Our word worship comes from an old English word which means worship or worship or worthship. In other words, literally meaning to declare the worth of the Lord. So your worship is worth ship like as a ship on the ocean it expresses value and when you worship god how you worship god declares and expresses what's god what god's worth is to you if you will lift your hands and worship in the worst time of your lives you're declaring god's worth ship to you how much he's worth to you if you lift your hands in the good time you should be able to lift your hands in the bad times amen that's just part of learning to be a mature Christian. This morning, I, want, I wanted to look at these three um, things concerning worship as we are finishing out today. And not only is the word of worship important, what you say when you worship God, like hallelujah being the highest praise to God, or I give you glory. But number one, you need a, determ you need a determining factor in your worship. You need to determine God's worth in your life. Is he worthy of your worship all the time because of his character? Is that important to you? He is love. He doesn't love. He is love. He doesn't have mercy. He is mercy. He doesn't have grace. He is grace. He is the things we love and adore about him. He actually has that in his character. Job 33 and 12 said, I will answer thee. That God is greater than man. First, Second Samuel 7 and 22 says, Wherefore thou art great, O Lord God, for there is none like thee, neither is there any God beside thee, according to all that we have heard with our ears. Deuteronomy 4 and 39, it says this about a God who's worthy and a God of great character. Know therefore this day and consider in thine heart, everyone say your heart, that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and upon the earth beneath. There is none else. How many know there is only one true and living God? Amen. And there's power in the revelation of your worship and knowing the character of God. When God is one in your life and he is the only one, you adore, you match the scriptures. When you say God is one, you're the only one for me, God. You're the only one I worship. You'll align yourself with the character of the oneness of God. And when you align yourself with that, there is no power greater than the almighty God who is, has no one beside them. There, there is no one to his left and there is no one to his right. He is God all by himself. Amen, somebody. And when you begin to affirm that in your worship, God, you are the one alone that I worship. It taps into his deity, and his deity releases a power of God that can change your entire scope of your life. It makes a whole difference as to whether you know his character. It makes great difference. Psalms 86 and 10 says, For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone by himself. Amen. Said, so, well, what, what did Stephen see? He looked up and saw Jesus sitting on the right hand of God. I'm like, um, well, he was getting stoned. I don't know if you want to take your information from a guy that's getting stoned. That was a joke. Hello, somebody. Actually, when he looked up, he saw Jesus sitting on the right hand of power, the scripture says. 
And it was a reference to the power of God that all authority was then in Jesus Christ because of his resurrection power that he would have. And so Stephen was, Stephen was referencing that Jesus, though he were a man, is actually God on high. Amen, somebody. That the visible vestige of God is in the invisible part of God showed up in the visible man, Jesus Christ. He is the visible aspects of God. So when you get to heaven, you're not going to look around and see an old man, Jesus sitting on the right hand, and somebody else that I don't even know what the spirit form would be because it's a spirit and spirits don't have a form, but there's going to only be one God and his name is Jesus and the lamb shall sit on the throne, amen, and he shall be the one that we see. And when you get to heaven, you say, you were the one I was worshiping all along. It's okay to worship one. You don't have to pray to Mary. You don't have to pray to one or the other just to get all your balance time in to make sure you prayed properly. If you pray to Jesus Christ, you're praying to the God in flesh, the one who deserves all worship and the one who's worthy of your worship. Amen, somebody. And so we find that Deuteronomy 4 and 39, it says, Know therefore this day and consider in thine heart that the Lord, he is God. I think I read that already, did I? No. The Lord, he is God in heaven above and in earth. There is none else. Maybe I did. Psalms 86.10, For thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Here we are. Psalms 1.18.28, the next verse that I wanted to get to from our text. Thou art my God. This is where it gets personal. This is where you make God your God. And I will praise thee. Thou art my God. And I will exalt thee because of his creation. Amen. Because of his creation is the second reason. Because of his character is number one, why he's worthy of worship, and number two, because of his creation. When we get out in creation like we do with man up, I'm telling you, God moves in so beautifully because we met him in the place where he designed us to meet him. Because he said, my creation is going to speak of me. And when you go to speak to me, make sure you have the proper reference point to speak of me. Make sure you understand that my character is pure and right and my thoughts are good towards you and I am not angry at you, but I love you and I want the best for you. But then also know that his creation is what he designed for us to see him in. And when you see the intricacies of different things in creation, you have to go, truly God is a majestic God. Truly God is powerful. Revelations 4.11, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and f and for thy pleasure they are and were created Let's see, Revelations 4, 11 was what I just read. Psalms 148 and 5. I'm hurrying, I'm hastening, but hear me. You need to understand that your worship is not just some place that you come to worship a church with a name on it. It is the fact that you have God inside of you. And with God inside of you, as the Holy Ghost infills you, you have to know that you're worshiping a God of great character and a God of creation. Psalms 148 and 5 says, Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded. Everyone and say commanded. He commanded praise and they were created. So in other words, he commanded that they were created and we should praise the Lord for it. Colossians 1 and 16 says, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Amen, somebody. And so we see that in creation, we're supposed to worship him. 
We worship him in character. We worship in creation. And we worship him in commitment. In commitment. If you have never made a commitment to God beyond just coming to church, there is a beautiful place for you awaiting where you say, God, I want to give you something. And maybe others haven't given it. Maybe others don't have this commitment. But I want to make this commitment in my life. And when you make that commitment and you walk that out, he gives great reward for that. I promise you he does. Regardless of what life looks like, I have been blessed because of my commitments to God so many times. I can only tell you that in personal example, but I know you know this, amen? How many have had God bless you for a commitment you made to him? In closing, I want to tell you that God's greatness is set in our hearts when we declare him through praise. God's greatness is cemented or set into our hearts when we declare him in greatness and praise. Amen. Would you stand with me as Dan comes? He's going to help us sing a song today of worship. And what we're going to do is we're going to lift our hands. I want you to free your hands if you can. If you, if you can't, you have babies in your hands. God bless you, sister, as you love on those babies but, and sister Tanya. But if you can and you can make yourself available to worship, we're going to worship the Lord one more time. And we're going to declare his name over everything in our life. Amen. Let's lift our hands together and let's call on the name of the Lord. Your posture actually says the name of Jesus in Hebrew. You're lifting up your hands. It, it creates the form of Shema, the God of all greatness. And Lord, we lift you up. We want you to be set in our hearts. God, we want you to be set in our hearts and let your greatness be known in us, Jesus, that we might worship you with, with great love and that we would give you glory all of our days. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.